Welcome back, Misfits. We have got another edition of the Coaches Podcast. We got two-thirds of the goon squad in the house. Yeah, the other one's up in the mountains eating, I don't know, mac and cheese and pushing suitcase up hills. Sick, we get it. Ten years you've been married to your wife and you decided to go on a vacation to Italy and Switzerland. Like, piss off. You think he's riding in the, the front of the bus in that like seat for you know people to get off first because he can't like walk as far? His knee, I hope his so. His knee's giving him a lot of trouble, so I'm I wondering so. like... If he's just like riding his suitcase around, you know, the hills of the Swiss Alps in Italy, or if I he's a uh, I hope I hope my had to piggyback, piggyback <laughs> him like <laughs> once or twice at least, like up top, all to all those to all the viewpoints and and whatnot. But I'm gonna send him like 30 Slack messages right like after the. Podcast. I sent him one this morning. He actually replied back. I was like, "What are you doing? I what thought you would delete all this." No, I actually said thanks. And I was like, you should not be on Slack right thanks. now. <laughs> yeah, that's how, you, that's how you know he's on vacation. He said yeah, thanks. Yeah, he said thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, today, so we've got we've got a good, good chat coming for you guys. We're calling it, well, we're not calling it anything. I'm calling it this. Ted's going to call it something <laughs> so, different so when better. he publishes it, but whatever. <laughs> um, but this is the low-hanging fruit podcast. And what we're going to talk about today is as coaches ranging from the affiliate level and we're not going to contain this to to just kind of affiliate level as as coaches who have um instructed athletes all the way from you've got athletes who are trying to lose over 100 pounds all the way to podium finishers at the crossfit games um and you know similar boat for myself coaching the affiliate level athlete all the way up to the the higher level folks we've got a really good um kind of vantage point about what what sort of checkpoints different uh, level of athletes kind of need to hit in order to kind of hit that next stepping stone of progress. And and we're talking like all the way from like, I've, I'm doing a beginner's class at Misfit Gym Portland, or I'm, I'm, I'm overweight, I'm out of shape, whatever that is. And like, what's the next stepping stone for them? What's the stepping stone for a, a affiliate athlete who wants to get competing? What's the athlete who likes to compete to make it to the next level of like, the semifinals or whatever it is, but we've got, um, basically like we, we talk to athletes again, uh, of all ability levels about all different things that you can be doing to improve. And athletes love to say like, Hey, what do I, what do I need to do to make that next step? And, and we've got kind of at least a handful of things that we believe that what we've taught over the years that seem to, uh, that athletes tend to latch onto probably a little bit better than most. Like we, we, tell people like, Hey, you, here's the optimal thing for you to do to get better, to get where you want to go. Um, understanding that many athletes, you know, if we give a hundred pieces of pieces of advice, maybe only, you know, five or 10 of those things get stick, yeah. seriously adopted and stick. Um, yeah. I mean, I what think the, the impetus for this conversation is something that you actually brought up at summer camp this year. You know, we try to give unique lectures at each camp so that if a camper comes and has come to multiple camps, they get a different perspective or maybe a new take on a topic that yep. maybe we haven't spent a lot of time with. And, you know, in your closing remarks of camp, as you know, in addition to thanking everybody for coming, you know, one of the things you implored them all to do is to be a student of the game and it effectively try to continue to raise their athlete IQ and understand that there are so many different things that you're responsible for being good at in our sport. So it might feel like this extremely daunting task to say, hey, get better at all of them because like we'd all like to be better at all of those things. But, you know, spending time on figuring out like what things right now could move the needle for you the most. And then when you figure what those things are, really pour your effort and energy into like really diving deep into it. So, you know, not everyone's going to look at 
training from the lenses that you or I look through, you know, where we go back to the Crossed Journal articles, which send us down paths and rabbit holes of, you know, books by Mark Ripito or Louis Simmons or Mel Siff and all these other people that maybe, you know, that dry technical nature of a training volume is not something that you find exciting where we might find that a little bit more exciting and ask yourself like, all right, what am I currently doing that could be done better. And if I don't know what that is, like, where should I start? And, you know, a big conversation piece for us. And when we get a chance to talk to athletes, mostly at the affiliate level, but even in remote coaching is like, let's, let's try to increase your, your knowledge. So understanding that there are many different ways to continue to like sharpen the ax when it comes to your overall fitness, let's figure out one particular topic that maybe you're struggling with. And let's have a deep dive on like how this could improve your fitness. So I like a really easy one that you'll hear us talk about, you know, all the time is like do less, but do it better. Effectively slowing down to speed up. And this, this topic is really important to us because, you know, as desirable as it is to try to be the fittest version of yourself, if you're just trying to do 12,000 things every single day, or like you just said a minute ago, if we give you a hundred different things and you try to do all of them at once, you're probably gonna do all hundred of them very poorly. So let's, let's think of something right now that's very, on a minute level, very easy to focus on. And like, let's like make that the focus for the day. And if you stack enough of those victories over and over and over again, eventually you make the progress that you're seeking to make in the beginning, but you do it in a way that's, you know, advantageous, almost like breadcrumbs on a trail and you're doing one, then the next, then the next, then the next, as opposed to looking at a piece of like looking at a desk and having 12,000 different pieces of paper on and go, all right, memorize all these pieces of paper. Right. It's just not going to go well that way. Yeah. Before we get, before we get right into the, the first kind of bullet point, which you alluded to here, we're for, for you all listening, you can think about this from two different perspectives or for a lot of you, this might apply. You, you might be thinking about it as your, your athlete self, but I understand that many of you probably coach affiliate classes too. So um, taking this information, listening to it from a coach perspective so that you can maybe try to make these kind of communicate or open these lines of communication with your affiliate athlete, or if you coach other, you know, other athletes of different, different skill levels or whatever. Um, Or if you're the athlete, like, Hey, we've got some information for you. Again, these are these are things that we think of as like low hanging fruit. It's pretty easy. Doesn't you know necessarily take a ton additional ton of additional time out of your day. And I would say it's mostly related to you just paying attention. Yeah, thinking uh, coaches, a little bit. Things think coaches, 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 athletes, athletes thinking and paying attention and um and kind of starting to adopt a little bit of that responsibility for the direction that your training or your coaching is going. So, um. Cool. Let's jump right in. Right. We'll talk to the, let's do the warm up and cool down thing before we go to, to yours. But the, the first one is how much, especially recently we've emphasized the importance of warming up really well and cooling down really well. We talked about, we've done an entire podcast, actually two entire podcasts on recovery protocols, the best way to recover. Uh, and we dive really deeply into warm ups and cool downs there. So we don't, I don't want to get like crazy technical, but that I think that's a huge thing. And at the affiliate level, I can say that since we've really started pushing forward the the Maffetone style warm-up, kind of, you know, three, four or five minutes at at increasing intensities, um, I see I see our affiliate athletes doing that. Those who can, who can kind of make it work within their schedule will come in and now like, you know, a good a third of the five PM class is sitting on a bike of some sort, just 
kind of hitting that sweat check. And those are a lot of times, those are the athletes who you see make the most like relative progress. Yeah. I, th- I think within the hour long format of the affiliate class, kind of talking to that section of the community first, you know, us coaches really try to make sure that when we're getting an athlete ready to take class, we kind of think about three objectives. First things, break a sweat. Second things activate. And third is maybe develop the skill or practice some of the skill components that are going to be within the workout. But within an hour long class, you're kind of confined. You know, if we had the perfect opportunity, let's say, you know, Mr. Jim Portland had 7,000 members and we could say, all right, we have three classes a day and as many people want to come in as possible. Our class might, you know, push 90 minutes, two hours to really give the full warm up and cool down protocol that we think is necessary. But we fully realize that most people come to a CrossFit gym because they like the direction, you know, they're led through their workouts. Their workouts are varied, so it's different and they can be in and out in an hour. So, you know, to see athletes adopt this, this concept of like, Hey, if you come in 15, 20 minutes early, like, of course you can catch up and chat with a neighbor, but why not do that on on a salt bike or something? Or why hop on a C2 bike and sit side by side and you can still have that conversation because a big component of the affiliate is the, you know, the community and the conversations you have and the you know ties you make within the community. But what if you decided to warm up for another 15 minutes? Because we always hear those athletes come to class. You, go, you know what felt really good? The last round. You're like, it was a three round workout. What'd you do for the first two? <laughs> what do you mean? It was, like two, first, it was a two rounder. Yeah. First round was the warm up. Oh, second round. round. Really smoke the second, the second <laughs> yeah. three quarters of the, or the second quarter of the workout. So it kind of goes uh, back to the conversation we had in a, a couple of podcasts ago when the, you know, the athletes doing eight by 500 meter row and they don't figure out what their pace is until the third or fourth one. It's like, well, shit, you just wasted two or three of those figuring out what your right pace is. So, you know, to make sure you get optimal adaptation in class. If you find that you can get more from it and you will, if you go in 15 minutes early and do your math warm up, or just make sure your body is warm and you continue to warm up through the intensity of like what the class would be, you're in a better position to move optimally, have better mobility and really push the intensity, which is what's going to garner the results. Yeah. I think the, the, the biggest issue is I think in my opinion, the one hour class thing. And now like, our affiliate programming, we try to, we, we've, we've worked on it for a long time and we're still working at getting better at it. Like what is the optimal amount of stuff that we can fit in a class? Understanding that considerations we have are like, what are these people paying for? Right. Cause if, and I've told members this before, it's like, Hey, we're going to do a, the three, we're going to do the nine minute version of the Maffetone warmup three minutes at really low intensity, three minutes at a very, you know, still low intensity, and then three minutes at kind of a mild, moderate intensity. And I've said like, hey, this is what we make our games athletes do to kind of give them something like, hey, this is cool. Like we're, you know, I'm, not, I'm, follow, not, just, yeah. I'm not just sticking you on a machine for nine minutes because I'm Cause lazy. I'm like yeah. we, we don't do it often, but we do it sometimes. And it's like, this is this is optimal. And if we could, if I could take you through the full 15 minute thing every day without half of you canceling your membership, then I would. But you know, there, there is a, or a robbing from another part of the class too. Like if you have yeah, extra exactly. time there, something else yeah, has to go. Like if, if 30 minutes of the class is spent warming up, then like, okay, so we're, we're definitely limited to one training piece, which we know is perfectly effective, but you know, it's, it's just what kind of, what kind of class, what kind of experience do you want to have? Do you want to have that one targeted training piece a day or do we want to mix and match a little bit where we maybe we do have more training pieces we and therefore we have to sacrifice a little somewhere else in the class and the same thing applies with the the cool down but i i would say like to the 
to the other half of that equation, the cooldown portion, same idea. Like we've, our, our coaches have gotten really good about just like you can always expect at the end of a Metcon, like, Hey, go for a cooldown walk at camp. It was, Hey, go get on a machine or for our high level, you know, you finish an event at semifinal. It's like, great. I hope I see you on a, on a, on an echo bike or something in the next two minutes. And I hope to see you 15 minutes from now in the same spot doing the same thing. Um, but a lot of athletes are now adopting that on their own. They don't even need to be told they roll around on the floor for a minute or two, and then they're up and they're out the door. We don't even have to tell them to go for a cool down walk. And especially for affiliate athletes, you go in and do this crazy workout. That's going to make you super sore and you don't do anything to cool down. You get in your car and drive away. And it's like, yeah, my neck hurts. My traps are tight. My quads are sore the next day. It's like, well, we know why we know, we know why. We know why. And this is actually a conversation I had with an athlete. Cause we just did, um, some shuttle sprints at the gym. You know, you go like mm. 10 feet out and back, 20 feet out and back and the lateral ones. Yeah. The, the lateral ones. Style? Well, well, those ones and the other ones we did were just straight up forward and backwards. And you know, one of the conversations I had with an athlete, at the gym was like, I'm really sore from this. I'm like, well, clarify this first you're sore from that because you raced everybody in class which obviously intensity is supreme and that's the reason why you're so sore second how often do you do change of direction drills that's what's you know nice about this particular class workout is we were forcing you to do something that was outside the realm of your comfort which is again something we'll talk about later in the podcast why it's important to do things that you haven't done before and then third what did your cool down look like and they're like i walked for like one minute i stretched my calves for eight seconds to side and i got my car and go home and i was like that's fine Now, now you have a reference point I'm not saying you should always just blast yourself and then leave. But now next time you do a workout where you feel the same way, hop on a bike for 10 or 15 minutes after class, if you can afford to in time. And if you can't get where you need to go. And then I'm sure at some point during your workday, you get a 15 to 30 minute break. Take that walking, you know, break, maybe you buy a sandwich, you go for a walk and you enjoy your sandwich on your walk (laughs) just to increase the, the amount of movement you get in that athlete. Because again, what you just did is stress your body way out and you know, you get better and you get fitter from exercise, not when you're doing the actual exercise, but when you're coming back and recovering from said exercise. So you needed the stimulus of the exercise to create the adaptation. But if you want that adaptation to sit in faster and to allow you to come back to CrossFit, because one of the reasons why we're so adamant about warm-up and cooling down is that we know that most of you like to attend CrossFit more than once or twice yeah, a week. I want you to be able to come back tomorrow without yeah. feeling like you're the And again, man. soreness is part of the game. You know, we're... 15 or almost 15 years into doing CrossFit and we still get sore regularly, God but you can do better if you they take the time to, to warm up and cool down. <laughs> so they said it, they said it would get easier. <laughs> it's easier. It never does. <laughs> no, fuck. But again, that is why it's so important. And you know, when you're the coach in this situation, you give an athlete feedback like that. And you say, Hey, cool down, check back in with them after you see them doing it, you know, ask them if they've done their cool down. And if you see them do it, commend them on doing that. Cause again, we're trying to create a behavior in these athletes yeah. so that they now do this every single time. And if their schedule allows, they'll hopefully find that by cooling down, they're able to come back the following day. And that instead of that, that battery being back at like 85, you know, maybe 60%, it's back to 85 or 90%. Right. I've told, and I've had this conversation with athletes too, especially one of my best friends. He's like, uh, he's like, every time we do bike sprints, like, the CNS, your man, just fucking annihilates me. I don't sleep well that night. And it's like, and he usually comes to the 6.30 p.m. class. So he's, you know, we're wrapped up by 7.30, trying to get everybody wrapped up by like 7.20 so they can leave the gym feeling like a human being at mm. 7.30, but that doesn't always happen. And I'm like, what do you do? Like, what's the cool down look like? And we roundabout way is like, 
oh, it doesn't really exist. And I was like, okay, start to try to cool down, especially after those really high intensity efforts. And this applies to everybody. Like you got to bring your body back down to normal. If you expect to bike sprint and then, you know, it's 7 30 PM, you're going to, obviously you're trying to go home. You're trying to eat, you're trying to sleep. All of those things are heavily dependent on you being back at kind of that homeostasis level, your body back to normal. And if you're not cooling down, like you're not setting your body up to be able to do that. So the, um, we're kind of like thinking, just thinking about the things that people want the progress, but they don't necessarily know, like they, they're going to, they have a hard time sacrificing things like time for a warm up and a cool down. And it's like, man, that's a, it's, it's one of those things where if you've, if you ever run, you, everybody's had a conversation with someone who's like, yeah, I run perfectly on six hours of sleep. It's like, I don't need any more. I feel that's optimal for have me. You tried like, eight? Have you tried <laughs> eight? And it's like, yeah, I just, I just lay awake in bed and it's like, well, you gotta, you gotta pra- do it do long once. enough so that you can actually sleep for eight hours. But what happens when you're actually asleep for eight hours? It's like, holy shit, I feel like a different human. And I think more often than not, these, the warm up and cool down thing is like, if you're an affiliate athlete, it's like, okay, I'm just going to do what class says and I'm going to put some trust in there in that. And that's fine. And if you're an individual athlete, I think it's a largely like a timing thing. It's like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm willing to, or able to add 15 minutes on the front end and another 15, 20 minutes on the back end of my, my already condensed timeline. Like where do, what's the give and take here? Um, and there was one other bullet point with this is like, I would say this is more about the, on the affiliate level, but I see it, I see it across the discord as well. I see it on the discord as well. It's like, Hey, I don't want to waste my energy warming up. Like, or it's that I wouldn't say it's quite that belligerent, but it's like, yeah, I kind of like did half the warm up because I want to save my energy for the Metcon. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, if you're worried about being out of energy for the warm up you need as much time exercising as possible. Mm, so sure. like, let's keep warming up for the entire hour. Cause I think it'll be better, but it's the idea that like, if I'm, I'm somehow, I'm somehow losing energy by warming up in exchange for like getting warm, being able, being mobile, being able to move, being able to be in the right positions, not getting injured. It's like, if you're worried about burning energy for the warm up then I think we need to, the, there's a deeper underlying issue of just like, hey, we need to work on general fitness then. And every minute you get with your heart rate above a certain rate, a we're, we're up, making yeah. progress, even if it's in the warm up or the cool down. So, and I gotta go back to like the recovery thing being a huge principle in this entire thing is that we want you to be able to come back so you can continue to get high intensity training done through CrossFit. If you are not able to warm up and cool down effectively and you're telling us you're running out of energy, what makes you think you need more? Like you, in fact, need less, less overall volume and you need to be able to focus on one single piece. And again, if you can improve your ability to recover from said piece, which includes a very thorough warm up and a cool down, you're over time going to be a fitter and a more dangerous athlete and a healthier, happier human being. If you decide to pour your energy into that instead of trying to cram, you know, 10 pounds of shit into a five pound bag. Yeah. So again, if you're someone you hear that, and you're like, I need to save the energy for the workout. It's like, well, maybe that means you started the warm up a little too aggressively. Maybe you can gradually build a little bit more conservatively as you go through it, but you still need to go through your paces here. Otherwise, again, you are going to have a suboptimal output and as a result, have a suboptimal recovery and as a result, have suboptimal training, which all of these things kind of stack on another. And if it happens for a long enough time, you could be that athlete who's like, I go to the gym six days a week. I train for two hours. I feel like I do everything and I'm not getting stronger or I'm not getting fitter or I'm not getting better at gymnastics. And it's like, 
you know, could it be a technical element? Sure. But more often than not, it's because you aren't doing the necessary, I wouldn't even say one-to-one is the right ratio, but you're not doing the necessary amount of work to recovery ratio that's going to allow you to optimally recharge. Sure. And for some athletes, you know, in this example of the athlete who's like, you know what, I, tr- I tried, like I walked for 10 minutes and I'm still not there. Like for where you are on your fitness journey, maybe your cool down needs to be 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes. You know, I just, for example, did some bike sprints the other evening and I had to go for a walk around the neighborhood twice, which took about 25 minutes before I felt normal again. And it's like, yeah, I didn't want to give 30 minutes of my evening to cooling down, but I knew that if I didn't do What's that, the alternative? the alternative is to feel like shit laying on the living room floor being like, why did I just bike sprint? I'm going to lay down PM? on the ground, look at the ceiling, not be able to eat dinner and yeah, I just probably feel- sleep like ass and not be able to train well. Tomorrow. And all of these like- things, again, affect recovery and hamper my ability to go back the next day and pour out, you know, yeah. full effort. Okay. Second one, slow down to speed up. You, you put this in here. So you kick us off here with this one. Well, one of the concepts you'll hear us talk about, um, at the gym and something that we really try to hammer home. And I think no better example of it is in the tempo pull clean and snatch that we, you know, Mm. started with last year, but effectively slowing down, (laughs) legitimately slowing people down. But the idea here of, you know, one of the biggest mistakes an athlete of any caliber, and this not just an athlete, this could be for any endeavor that requires specialization or, you know, proficiency is the rush to do what the advanced people do from the jump. It's sexy. It's cool. It looks like the right thing. It's like, there is no way that someone figured out how to play, you know, Mozart, for example, by hitting fucking the D flat key over and over and over and over until the point where like they started to understand how music went together or in this situation, they understand how a proper setup in the clean then is sets you up to use your legs in the pole and then you push your knees back and out mm. of the way so you create tension in your hamstrings. And all of these concepts are, hey, let's go really slow or basically walk before we crawl, or sorry, I mean crawl before we walk, walk before we jog, jog before we run. And the idea here is, the more I can educate you on how to do something the correct way, and if you can slow yourself mm. down to really feel these things, you will gradually be able to build up to speed. You know, one of my favorite ways to explain to someone about why this matters is that your skill unlocks your strength. We all know that person that came to your gym that was brutally strong and probably the first day could rip a 225 power clean off the floor, but you come back six years later and they're at 235, you're like, how is it six years ago you were doing 225 and now you're six years later and you've only added 10 or 15 pounds to your max? And it's because they refuse to figure out what is the nuance in the movement that's preventing me from getting better. Effectively, by slowing down, I raise the ceiling on my potential in the future, which is a hard concept to feel in the moment because as human beings, we are very bad at understanding long-term gratification. We want short-term gratification. We want to do it right now, immediately. And it's like, I understand that but let's slow down, yeah. figure things out, how to do them the correct way and build towards it. I think if you're a coach too, having that conversation is a lot about like, well, what are you? Cause a lot of times athletes have, will come to you and be like, I'm not getting fitter. I'm not getting better. And you're just like, okay, here we go. Watch this. So here, so what do you mean? Define what do you mean by not getting better? It's like, well, I, my, my back squat only went up this much. And I was like, okay, well that's, it still went up. Like, what do you, are you, are you, what are the objective metrics that you're pointing at that's saying that you're not getting better? And more often than not, they're just not, they're either, they either aren't paying a close enough attention to know that they actually are making progress or your time horizon's too short. Um, and the more experienced you are, like that progress, you know, it takes a lot longer to make that progress. The beginners, the beginner folks, you can come in here and do 
you know, somersaults and backflips and row for like 20 minutes a day and do some combination of that and you're going to get fitter. It's great. It's wonderful. (laughs) But for for the more experienced you become, the, the slower that kind of trajectory upward is, but it's still positive change. And the original point here is like, you're having a conversation with that athlete. It's like, well, what are you, are you trying to, do we have a goal? Do we have a, a, a fixed destination that is like, yes, on this date, I have this competition. I have the open, I have quarterfinals, or is it more of a general, like, Hey, I just want to generally see more progress. And then we start to have the conversation of, well, let's try to find progress that has been made that you just Mm. haven't noticed yet. Or, what are the things that are actually slowing slowing your progress down? Um, I think so, one thing to add to that too, Hunter, is potentially the the athlete who starts to use themselves compared to somebody else in the gym mm, that yep. has maybe a completely different lifestyle or a much more advantageous schedule to training more often, or it's just something maybe they started with on day one and they're like, how come so-and-so over there is already at this weight and I'm not this weight? And it's like, well, you know, when those times where we said, grab 75 pounds and let's fix the snatch. And you were the first person to put 95 pounds or 115 on your bar. Mm. And you were wanting about these habits and, you know, kind of going back to the uh, comparison is the thief of joy. Like, Hey, let's, let's talk about you right now. Because a lot of times that conversation happens because they look around the gym and they feel like they're the only person lifting less weight or aren't doing the muscle ups or can't handstand walk or their splits a little bit slower. And it's just like, Let's get you focused back on you. So I think that's kind of a really nice thing to think about when you're doing this is to try to pour the effort and the intensity of your focus back on you and what you've created and realizing that like throughout your fitness journey, some things are very obvious and objective early on, but later on it may be a little bit more subjective and it comes down to like a lot of gray area. Yeah. Like how did you, how did you get better today? Oh, well weird. Like my, my second pull of my snatch today felt better. Awesome. That's a great thing to think about. Or like, Hey, my grip felt like it didn't move around the pull-up bar as much during my toes to bar. Another great victory. Yeah. So fi- finding these things is not always easy as the athlete, which is why it's you know good to have a coach or good to have training partners or peers that can tell you, you know, oh, I saw the way you were moving through those toes to bar. Like, have you ever done sets of 12 before? And it's like, no, I usually do like four, four, four yeah, instead of 12. Absolutely. So fi- finding those victories is a really important part. But again, you want to always go back to be like, all right, if I'm stuck at a certain place, how far can I break these things down and figure out what component is holding me backwards? So kind of almost almost the opposite of slow down to speed up mm. is speed up to get fitter. And what I mean by that is the the, the scaling conversation. Mm. And this is like, I would say this is probably one of like the top conversations that you have I've had with athletes and I've I've done like a I've done like a 30 minute I remember I broke out a whiteboard and was basically like yeah it was a physics class and it was the basically like if you're listening to this and you accept the CrossFit methodology there are certain things there are certain almost almost like first principles that you have to kind of accept and one of them is that you know CrossFit the the almost the founding the founding kind of the the foundational element of CrossFit is the idea that intensity is like is fitness, right? So, and we define intensity as power and power is, you know, force times distance over time. So how quickly, how quickly we can move a load period Mm -hmm. and that, and we can calculate that. That's what's kind of cool about CrossFit. We got weights, we got timers, we got distances. We can make all of those calculations. So I pull out the whiteboard and just an easy example is Karen. 150 wall balls. It's the same movement. It's 150 reps of it. It's going the same distance every time. It's like, so I 
pull out the whiteboard. I don't remember the math, but it was basically like, okay, so you 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 see Karen in class, it's 150 wall balls. You're like, yep, 20 pound ball. If I'm a male, 14. If I'm a female, and it takes me six minutes. It's like, okay, so six minute Karen time, not too bad. What happens if you had done that with a a 14 pound ball? If you were a male who instead of used a 20 pound ball, used a 14 pound ball. It's like, oh, it's too easy. Like, okay, well, do it. Great, you just did it in like three minutes and 45 seconds, whatever it is. Well, mm. here, here's some magic. I'm going to crunch the numbers. And for those of you who aren't algebra whizzes, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like the math says the scaled athlete did more work, period. Yeah, they and if, move again, more. <laughs> and if we're, if we're kind of following along with this whole CrossFit thing, then that's 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 what it is right it's who can do the most work in the least amount of time who has the highest power output and the athlete who scaled karen and did it substantially faster turns out that yeah, yielded stimulus. a higher output than the athlete who you know had to had to stand around for a while so i think the scaling conversation is always super important but it's it I think it gets screwed up a lot of times because one, an athlete perceives scaling oftentimes as like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to do that. Well, I can do that. And another part of this too is athletes also like to oftentimes look at movements in a vacuum. It's like there's the there's a workout with thrusters and burpees in there. It's like 95 pound thrusters and bar facing burpees. Like Gross. perfect, easy workout. It's just like, well, I can thruster 95 pounds. It's like I get that you can do that. What happens when you're 60 thrusters deep and 60 bar facing burpees deep? It's like, oh, I don't know. I could thruster 95 pounds. It's like, I know you're strong enough to do it one time. Fuck. We need to, (laughs) I need you to be fit enough to do it 80 times and not take six hours to do this. Yes. Um, But the point, the point is, is we're trying to make that communication. Okay. I need you to, Look at the workout. I need you to think a little bit about the total volume of the workout and what the intended stimulus is, which we'll get to in a little bit. But it's, again, not thinking about movements in a vacuum and being willing to scale. And as a coach, it's communicating that, hey, scale, especially if you're like an athlete looking for that progress, scaling is the is the express way to it's the rainbow road fitness <laughs> you you get somebody who insists on doing the prescribed weights which by the way we just arbitrarily almost not arbitrarily but like someone to someone somewhere decided that slapping 25 pound plates on a 45 pound barbell was going to be a standard weight for a thruster it's like he didn't convert he didn't he didn't he didn't con- he didn't ask you if that was appropriate <laughs> for you right so this is just a very general term very general um like you know, programming that we see that we've seen it in the open, basically like throughout the existence of CrossFit, what makes you think that like this very general weight selection for this workout is like the perfect workout for you? Like I didn't write this. I didn't write, I don't write the programming for you specifically. I write the programming for, you know, the masses and then hope that coaches and athletes together are scaling to, to get the right workout for them. And, I and think this will that- go back a little bit and we have some other topic later on about understanding your programming and how this relates. But yeah. you know, you know, one of the best ways that I've found to communicate this with athletes or even to myself to, to remind myself every once in a while that you still need to scale workouts is, you know, you're right. You can thrust a 95 pounds, but how will you feel after you're, you know, I don't know, 60 deep. 
people here, before we start the workout, give me, do me a favor. Give me 10 lateral burpees over that bar. Pick that bar right by and do 10 thrusters and tell me if you're still excited about using that weight. Yeah. And again, it's not to ruin an athlete's confidence. It's to remind them that the stimulus reigns supreme here. And if I can get you to understand that, like, you will get a better workout with this weight. And I treat it through that lens of like, hey, I know you can thrust her 95 pounds, but 75 pounds is going to give you a better workout. And then after the workout, go circle back to that athlete and have that conversation. and be like, all right, how did it go? Oh, word. You were right in that time domain. We discussed at the whiteboard before class. It should be six to 12 minutes and you were fucking 1130. Like, perfect. What happens to use 95 pounds? Well, then it's a 15 to 17 minute workout. And it's not the same thing. And it's not the intention that we had there. So when you circle back to that and you have those little wins and you stack those wins over time, that's as, how as coaches, you can create credibility and you create that trust in you as the coach. And if you're the athlete, it's a nod to your fitness. It's like, Hey, what Hunter just said about making sure you get the best possible power output, which is, you know, three lines equivalent to the intensity of the workout yeah. and like, make sure that you get a good stimulus test yourself every once in a while before the workout and say, all right, let me do a little bike sprint and then try to hop up on those rings and do four muscle ups and ask myself, do I feel really good about that? And if the answer is no, well, shit, maybe your, your answer is to scale the muscle ups back by one or two per round. And now you're now able to still do muscle ups yeah, under fatigue. And, and it's such a weird feedback loop too, right? Cause it's like, okay, like say you're an athlete or you've got an athlete who finally has muscle ups, right? And it's just like, okay, I can finally do sets of two or three. And it's like, here's this, here's a workout with sets of really small, nice one to three reps. And you're just like sick. Like I can finally do it. And three, two, one go happens. And well, the first part of the workout's 20 calories on the rower and then, <laughs> and then 10 power cleans. And now you get to do your three muscle ups and you can't. And it's like, fuck, what happened? Like, why can't I do that? And then that goes back around to, it's like, that's fitness. That's not necessarily that you can't do muscle ups. It's that you can't do muscle ups yet when your heart rate's at 170. And the problem with CrossFit is your heart rate's always at fucking 170, you know? Yeah, it's unless like, you're me, it's like so 130. You gotta, yeah, unless, you're, <laughs> unless you got a broken heart like you. Yeah. Um, but the point is, is like, okay, this all of this ends up circling back to fitness. It's like, okay, so what do I have to do? We scale weights so that athletes are standing around less. That's And that's almost, that's basically it, right? Like in a big gigantic nutshell you hear coaches at our gym saying it all the time like do what you can to stay moving whether that means you have to break things up or we're scaling weights and reps back so that you can stay moving because if you are in that affiliate class and you spend five of the 10 minutes working out with your hands on your knees staring at the barbell you did you basically did a five minute workout, right? Not a 10 minute one. Mm -hmm. I know that's not exactly the same idea, but it's the, the more time that you are standing around and somebody else is thrustering with lighter weight, but is actually moving, that person's getting fitter than you are by standing around staring at your prescribed weight barbell that you insisted on using. And yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, to give the listener an idea of like how someone could develop that, I think this is a little progression that I've used and you feel free to interject or yeah. you disagree with any part of it. But like early on, you got to build the fundamentals. So if you want to, let's use muscle up, for example, you need to have good pull-ups and dips. So check those two boxes first. Awesome. You've got both of those things. Yep. Then second, after you get the good pull-ups and dips, you start working on the skill of how to turn over on the rings. Maybe you do low rings, then high rings. And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you get your first muscle up. Awesome. 
let's turn one muscle up into a few muscle ups because very rarely do we ever do a workout with one single muscle up every single round. Let's, and no, let's turn one muscle up into lots of sets of one muscle. Yeah, yeah. Up. Let's let's try to make sure yeah. you're really good at one muscle up. And once that's kind of insured, like all right, now let's try to create doubles and triples and sets of five. And eventually, you get to a point where maybe you can do three to five muscle ups on command, no matter what, but outside the intensity. Like you can just do it on like sure. an EMOM clock, for example. An athlete will then come to us and go, how do I now start to put these into workouts? It's like, well, early on, the thing that's going to mess you up the least is a little bit of cardio interference. Let's get you breathing a little bit. And that can be something as like in our gym, we have a perfect situation where you could do a muscle up, run across to the STA space and back, and it's about a hundred meters. So it's like early on jog really slow. When you get back, hop up on the rings just and see so your heart rates a just little enough. Elevated. So you're a little uncomfortable. And then, all right, you got good at that. Let's increase the intensity of it. Let's go a little faster. Or a little bit faster. Well, that's where I was going to go next. Once I get the cardio and you start to get a little bit more confidence there. And again, cardio meaning like, what's the pace you would try to hold if it were like a 15 to 20 minute AMRAP? Like something that's not crazy. Here's something that elevates your heart rate, but does not interfere with muscle ups. Interfere interfere muscularly with your muscle ups. Yeah. And once you get that dialed in, then you can ask ask yourself, all right, what if I really push these runs and I start sprinting back and forth and hop up on the rings and maybe do more interval based things where I like, run really hard for 200, come back in and try to do five muscle-ups and that's good. Great. Now we start to be able to start playing around with muscular overload. So maybe you do 10 burpees and then you have to climb or get up over the rings or something like that. Yep. Or maybe you have to do three wall walks then get up over the uh, the rings there. And then, then and only then would I say it's now start to be appropriate for most workouts to have muscle-ups for you to now do them. That doesn't mean you should always do muscle-ups if it's like 15 in a set and your max set's four, like maybe your workout's with eight instead of 15. So so what I'm kind of hearing is like, so you're an athlete who's either trying to establish a skill for the first time or develop a skill far enough to be able to be done in a high-intensity setting, right? In order to do that, you got to keep it away from intensity initially right or be really really deliberate and be thoughtful and if you're a coach helping your athletes say like okay so you can get over the rings one time pretty consistently and like you said it's like okay let's do one 25 foot shuttle run or 50 foot shuttle run or whatever everybody wants wants to fucking call it (laughs) however far shuttle is i don't know (laughs) however far it is nobody seems to know Um, either and then do one muscle up it's like okay we check that box like and then it's let's run a little bit harder. Okay, now let's try two. And then we finally slowly introduce them into workouts. But yeah, I I no, I don't have any I don't have any qualms. And the great part about that too is now we've just found I don't even know how many different iterations of subjective improvement you can see in the gym for going back to the like, hey, am I seeing progress? Like this is a great example. I could only do muscle ups if it were an EMOM. Well great, that's a great place to start. Now I can only do muscle ups if it's outside of rowing. And then all of a sudden you do the first rowing workout where you're able to link five muscle ups. And then you start to have all of these things that aren't subjective or excuse me, aren't totally objective. Like I did a muscle up. It's like, no, I was able to do a muscle up in a workout where the fucking point of the workout was to ruin muscle ups. And like, that's a huge victory. And where the workout might call for five and you're doing two now, that doesn't mean you're a failure. It means that's where you are in your journey. And eventually those twos will turn into the threes, turn into fours and turn into fives. And that workout comes back around, you know, two years later. And all of a sudden, because you've been so patient, yep. you've really tried to figure out how to create this skill and put it into a workout. You're blowing past people who are just so adamant that they must do muscle ups, even though the class, you know, time domain or the workout time domain is supposed to be short and they're taking 12 or 14 minutes to sure. do it. Um, Last point on the slow down to speed up thing is 
This is a conversation that I have pretty regularly. And again, across the board and ability level, beginner scaled affiliate athlete to high level competitor is, is the mobility conversation. And I, I've, I've actually become a lot more rigid on this as far as like, if someone, if someone's coming to me and they're just like, if, and they're either trying to improve their fitness or they're, and they're, and they're trying to, I don't want to say be competitive, but they're, they're, they're actively trying to push themselves forward and they can't sit below parallel on the bottom of a squat. They can't put their arms directly over their head. They've got whatever it is. They've got a decade's worth of sitting at a computer attached to their their T-spine or whatever. They sit at a <laughs> desk for eight hours a day like, man, I get it. Um, like, And that's tough. And especially if you're somebody who was like really sedentary for a long time and then got into it. Or maybe even worse is an athlete who has the athletic capacity and maybe even like the work capacity, but they have not spent enough time in like those positions or at kind of end range of motion to develop strength and capacity throughout a long range of motion, like a full depth squat or the re- the mobility requirements of like a, a kipping butter or a butterfly pull up or a muscle up or something like that. And it's probably the most frequently like, People just don't work on it. They're just like, yeah, this is what I'm working with. Like, well, it's funny you say that. Everyone wants to know what's the best, you know, what's the best recovery boots? What's the best supplements? What's the best, you know, squat program to get my clean up? It's like, all that stuff's great. Those are all like, you know, if you want to think of like decorations on the cake, those are great things. I I need your torso to not look like a picnic table when you do a back squat. Like, (laughs) I need you to be able to sit straight up and and, and, and sit below parallel. and, And for a lot of athletes, this is because it's so it feels like an insurmountable task yeah. to dramatically yep. change the way your body moves around a barbell That's or to the barrier a squat. To entry. It's a fucking pain in the ass. It, it is a pain in the ass. And it's one of those things that takes time. And because again, going back to the, like the instant gratification of our nature with, you know, cell phones and computers, like we always want things right now, yep. right now, right now. And it's like, you will be better if instead of doing that little extra piece over there, the GHG sit-ups and handstand walks, Go do nose and toes for seven minutes yep. or go hang from the pull-up bar for seven minutes and try to open up your back and shoulders so that you can, can create the proper kip and a muscle up because the reason why you can't do more muscle ups is that your kip's terrible yep. and it's not, has nothing to do with your upper body strength. It has the fact that you're literally inflexible to the point where you can't create a bigger swing and that's the reason. Or if you're snatching, great example, hey, you can pull the bar to the fucking ceiling. You can't get underneath it. You can't sit low enough to catch the barbell yeah. where it actually matters and you're wondering why you've been stuck at the same PR forever and ever. And it's like, go, go watch the best in the sport. Do what they do. Notice that barbell doesn't get any higher. Their belly button. Go ahead and squat to the bottom of your squat. Put your arms, your head. Is it above your belly button? What what does the bottom of that squat position look like? What Hmm. is their overhead or overhead squat position look like? It's not a coincidence that the best movers in the sport are also some people that both spend a lot of time doing mobility, but also have really good range of motion because they constantly practice that. And again, it's a simple thing. It's not easy. It's not easy no. to convince yourself to go sit in the bottom of a squat for seven minutes a day or to do nose and toes holds or, you know, dig that barbell out of the rack and dig into your lats because your front rack is, you know, fingertips touching in the middle of your clavicle. Like yep. that's, that's not going to get it done. So, you know, before we were worried about all these extra things that you can do, like pick something that's on the relatively easy side. And when you can do that, you're going to notice big change. And if you're someone that struggles to do that, find a friend to do it with, yeah. ask somebody, Hey, 
you know what? We both want to get better squats. Yeah, cool. Let's go sit in the bottom of a squat for seven minutes. And maybe we trade minute back and forth. And while one person's squatting, the person's chatting to them. So they're not like thinking about how terrible the squat is. They're just thinking about the conversation they're having. Next thing you know, you both get done seven minutes of squat holds and come the end of the phase, you're squatting more weight, which at the end of the day is what people are after. Yeah. And I think another, another way to communicate this importance is like, yeah, what you're sacrificing is seven minutes of boredom or like, you know, 20 minutes worth of, of stretching or mobility that you wouldn't have otherwise done. The, the return is one, there's one, there's hopefully a return down the road where your positioning looks like, you know, what, what quote a normal human, normal human range of motion should be. And there are like for you coaches out there, there are metrics in like the physical therapy community that are just like, this is the standard as far as like how far a joint should move, like what the range of motion is like, yeah, it turns out your knees bend beyond 90 degrees for good reason. Like it's, (laughs) it's safe to squat below parallel. Um, but the, the, the other thing here is like, is the injury prevention thing athletes who, who do not have access to range of motion due to mobility limitations will always compensate elsewhere, somewhere else, yeah. somewhere else. Your hamstrings aren't loose enough to do a, a good quality deadlift. Great. That bar is going out and around the knees and no wonder why your back's tight. Every time we deadlift those sorts of like the, the, the immediate feedback is like, Hey, these positions are going to get more comfortable. You're also going to be a lot more bulletproof. You're going to be a lot more durable. You're actually going to be able to develop strength in the ranges of motion and in the muscle groups that we want. And it's going to enable, it's going to enable you to lift more efficiently and therefore more safe. And And no coincidence, people that are the most efficient are the ones again, that have the highest levels of fitness because they aren't working against themselves and working against their bad positions. Like again, think about someone who has an immature overhead squat and they're fighting to stabilize the bar in every single rep. And then you put that overhead squat with a thing like a burpee or a handstand push up, And you're like, kind of superhuman position of power do these people have where they just keep moving and moving it's like no they're stacked their joints are perfectly vertical they're not not working against themselves energy they don't need to because they move really well and again that's why you know technique's really important and one of the ways you can unlock better technique better mobility yeah okay next one um you did a camp lecture on this yeah. Oh, you did vir- virtuosity. Yeah. So, okay. Different, different Greg Glassman quote, but this one, uh, we, we, I did talk about this actually. This is, uh, you know, one of the things yeah. that I've been really like trying to do recently at the, uh, the affiliate level is I think that, and then this is something I stole from you because I like the idea, but if you're only coming to the gym for an hour of exercise, you're missing out on what this gym could really provide for you. And one of the things I like if to you're do only is taking away an hour, an hour of, exercise. of exercise. Yeah. I like to tell athletes like, Hey, how, how can I further your understanding of why we ask you to do what you do? It's like, I was never the, like the person growing up where someone told me to do something that was like, yes, sir. We'll do. I'm like, if you told me to do something, I would in fact do the exact opposite because fuck <laughs> you and I'm doing whatever I want. And again, that's because I was a you know bullheaded teenager, but you know, I, I have found that now, if someone gives me the reason why I should do something and it makes sense, I'm more likely to adopt the behavior. Like, for example, I fucking hate sitting in that ice bath, but if it's going to help me recover better and make me feel better, I'm going to do it. And I, I hate it. I actually hate it, but I'm going to go do it because I realize there's an, there's a Sherby don't like being cold. <laughs> there's an end to the means here. So, you know, one of the topics that I brought up was, you know, we fail at the margins of our experience. And this had actually had to do with one of our team misfit workouts that recently had, which was run 300, do some box step ups. And then it was three snatches at a percentage range that athletes could choose from. And I asked athletes, what kind of snatch are we doing today? 
and you know, said the, board, the whiteboard says three snatches at sixty to seventy percent. Nothing else, just yeah, yeah. snatches. I said, I said, what does that mean to you? I can and, see, I can see everybody's and, head, like the bubbles are just percolating. Yeah, people Everybody's like, like mm. power snatch. Yeah, touch and go power snatch. And I was like, <laughs> touch and go muscle snatch. Yeah. Got it. I was like, that's fine. That's a fine movement. If that's something you're not good at, that's great. But listen to this. If you want to be fitter, and that's what you're all here for, almost everybody in this gym, you know, some of them are there for the community and have some fun. But like a lot of people there are like, I know this is going to make me a fitter person. Yeah, if you're get, here, you might as well do something you're not good at. Yeah, might as well get like, better. If you're going to chase fitness, that typically means pursuing weaknesses. What better way than today, where the only thing it says on the board is 60, 70%, is for you to pick the style of snatch you like least and to get better at today, because that is going to move the needle for your fitness way more than doing the things that you like. Yeah. Gravitating towards your strengths is fine for garnering intensity occasionally, but if you only do that, you're going to have a lot of holes in your game. You're going to have a lot of holes in your gaps in your fitness, and that's going to make you a less fit person. So I said, before we start, this is no judgment call on you, but I think you should all pick the version that you like least. That means touch and go squat snatches. Great. You're doing yep. touch and go squat snatches. And if that means you have to go a little less than the percentage because you want to work on it, also great. You know, the important thing here for, for you all to understand is that if you avoid something, you're not going to get better at it. And that's just an unavoidable fact. There's no way to avoid something that you want to get better at and think that somehow yeah. snap my fingers, you're going to be better at it. The good news is, though, and I think this will get this this gets to another bullet point, not not necessarily understanding the stimulus, but again, learning kind of paying attention to what we're after as far as like, OK, what's the stimulus and our the affiliate pro all of our programming has the same format what's the duration short medium long uh what's the for affiliate stuff we do it a little bit differently but what's the stimulus what's the feel is it a cardio gas or muscular overload and then what's the pace we we suggest that you start to hold and once athletes start to figure that out then they then it becomes like okay let's talk about the move your your example of like am i going to get better by doing touch and go power snatches or squat snatch singles because that's what I need to work on. On the other side of the coin, there's the the fitness side, right? Where it's just like, well, I want you to do the most work in the least amount of time possible. And that's it. And then, you know, you get a smart ass affiliate athlete who's just like, but coach, you said more work in less time. Why do I want to do the one that I, I'm worse at? Because I'm going to get a worse score. And you're just like, I like what you did there, but... Nice Here's try. What, yeah, but <laughs> nice try here. So we're trying to we're trying to fill in those weaknesses, but... There's something to be said about that, and it's understanding your programming. And if you're just like, okay, I'm actually going to go with the one that I like better so that I can go faster, where else am I going to attain progress? Or where else am I going to push myself in this workout so that I can identify, again, identify progress? Or maybe, you know, it was a 300 meter run, some step ups and snatches. Well, it turns out I fucking love the barbell. So it doesn't matter. Like, I'll do touch and go power snatch backflips like i don't care it'll be easy <laughs> but fuck running like i don't want to run through yeah i think meters. the important I, I like i like to be stationary when i exercise and then it's like okay for you like hey you got a minute and 15 seconds to do your 300 meter run i don't care if you have to stand at the door and wait till you feel like you're ready to do that but that's what you need to do in order to make progress for yourself today in the specific workout understanding that hey sometimes we take a small step back in order to take three steps. Well, I love what you future. just said too, because again, if you have a reason for why you're doing something, that's usually 
almost always good enough. Oh, I'm, a big, I'm a big listener. If you yeah. come to me and you give me a good justification for something, I will sometimes let you do it. Yeah, and again, I think this happened the other day. I have an athlete in Wyndham who, again, would probably run one minute 300s the entire time. And I was like, guess what? You specifically, your goal is to run every single one of your 300s in like a minute 20, which is not a super fast 300 for this athlete. This is like probably almost like a recovery jog pace. But I'm saying okay. when you get inside, you never stare at your dumbbells and you immediately pick your barbell up. Those are the two areas that you have the most room to grow in here. Yep. So by tempering your speed on the run, you are now able to focus on something you need specifically, which is more important today for this workout than a good score. Absolutely. And you know, yeah. one of the things that I, like I that. love to communicate to an athlete is that like, it's fine to use the competitive nature of the gym to push yourself. I love that you want to use your your buddies around you to kind of push. But if you only are concerned about winning workouts, that will only carry you so far. Now, granted, it will help you push the intensity early on for a lot of people. That's why you get really fit early on in CrossFit is that you just push yourself, push yourself, push yourself. And you're always racing. You're always trying to get the best score, the best time, best time, which is great. But effectively, at some point, you begin to level off and those beginner gains are gone and you're like, how come I'm not getting any better? Well, it's like every single time you come in, you like to hammer your strengths and rest on your laurels when it's time to do the things that you're not good at. And again, the example you just gave is yeah. like, you know, I love step ups and snatches, but fuck, don't make me run really hard. And it's like, thank you for telling me that you are now your only objective is to run all these 300s at this pace. I don't give a shit what happens out of the workout because I know you're still going to work hard over there and get a good workout. Yeah. But your focus needs to be on this thing right in front of you because this is where you stand to gain the that's most. The, that's the other thing too, as a coach, like, especially for my less experienced athletes, someone comes to me and they're, and they, they actually, these are the people who are the most interesting to me because it's like they're, they actually do pay attention to that stuff. They have, they're, they're, they're trying to develop their athlete IQ there and they're a, a scaled affiliate athlete. It's like, fuck, if you paid as much attention as, uh, or if my elite athlete paid as much attention as you did, as you do, they'd be, they'd be miles ahead of where they are. So it's great. But at the same time, like the, the scaled affiliate athlete, fuck, it doesn't matter. It almost, it, it doesn't matter in the sense that like, Hey, I don't need you to necessarily focus on one. Like you don't necessarily need to take what I'm saying and focus on that specifically, because basically anything you do is going to make you fitter is going to help you. Movements are less important than the stimulus is like just, try hard for the period of time that this workout exists. Take the notes that you have been because you've clearly been paying attention and learn, learn and get better in that sense. Um, the only other one I wanted to add is the, this is, I think I, I, I hope that, I don't know if we're past the days of this, but the, <laughs> the idea of you said not choosing the things to do that you're not good at. This follows basically in line with that. And it's skipping days totally that you're not good at. And again, with the, when you go to a CrossFit gym and the affiliate class, it's like same, it's the same workout at 5 a.m. and at 7 p.m. Like you, you, you're either going to come to the gym, you're either going to go to open gym and, and maybe someone will notice that you skipped out the second rowing day in a row, like that you, you've missed the rowing intervals or you missed the 5k Weird. row. It's like, interesting. Coach always knows. Interesting. Coach always knows. <laughs> Members know. Coach always knows. Um, but those are like, Fuck. If you're, I remember there was another, there's another journal article that uh, I think it was a Glassman one, but it was just like, if your workout doesn't scare you like a little bit, if your workout doesn't make you a little bit nervous, like 
you might not be you need it. You might not be working out very it. hard. Yeah. It makes you a little bit nervous. The odds that the return on that investment are high, and this is one of the reasons that this has always been a, a not a point of contention, but like we we give our affiliate the the workout for the next day publishes at seven thirty p.m. We we've gone through phases of giving folks like, hey, here's the week of programming coming up. Here's the whatever, and the most common argument is just like, I just want to know what, like what things are going to be so I can like plan my day out. It's like, Hey, the classes happen at the same time every day. Like what, what you're actually saying, like you don't people, uh, when, when athletes make that argument they they don't realize that they're making my argument for, for them, you. Yeah, for exactly. them. It's like, I just want to schedule out my day. Well, like, how are you going? Or I want to schedule out my week. Well, well, how are you, what's your, how do you prioritize <laughs> which workout gets chosen? It's like, and then you start to think, and it's just like, well, if we do muscle ups on Thursday, like I want to work on them. So it's a lot of times it's like, oh, if there's a movement coming up that I really want to get in, I want to make sure I'm at the gym at that day, but it, it will never, you will never get that is the only version of the no. things that they want to do. It will, it eventually devolves into like, oh, but I also noticed that the 5K row is the day before. That's perfect. I'm going to rest on That's that a great day active and then recovery I'll come day. in for the muscle ups for, for the next <laughs> day. And it's like, no, no, no. Like it will devolve into a little bit of the cherry picking stuff. And ultimately, like you can, well, as coaches, we can only control so much. If someone wants to cherry pick, like they're going to cherry pick. And our, our job is to, ho- to hopefully educate them why that's not a good thing. But at the end of the day, it's it's sure, their day. And the same thing goes for like a stimulus in a class. Like, and I get it too. Like there are some days where it's just like, I'm having a shit day. The last fucking thing I need to do is 21-15-9 thrusters and burpees. Like piss off <laughs> yeah. Misfit Jim Portland. I'll, <laughs> I'll fuck off and I'll day. see you tomorrow. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I get that. There And there are days where it's just like sometimes the workout is a, a checkbox for completion for folks. But the the idea that, you know, of choosing to miss the days that would benefit you the most just like no don't and i actually think that's kind of a segue into like the very last topic here which is you know we've sort of alluded to it the entire time but understanding your programming matters a ton when it comes to this and realizing that like specific movements are as important as a stimulus so like you might have an athlete who's like you know what we decided at misfit gym portland we're going to do a phase one day per week where we handstand walk and they're like i can't fucking handstand walk Peace. Yeah. I'm not coming in for that. And it's like, well, you realize the reason you probably don't want to do that is because you don't have good shoulder stability or you have bad body awareness. Or maybe you had a bad experience learning this and like the, you're not going to get, you're not going to figure it out by yourself in an open gym. Like class yeah. is the best avenue for that. Or, or maybe you're hurt and you're like, fuck, I just can't do that movement because I have an injury. And it's like, that is what's so great about an affiliate. And that's, what's so great about having coaching. That's what's so great about CrossFit in general is that any single movement can be replaced with some other movement because it's the stimulus that the movements provide is what actually creates the fitness. It's not the magical number of muscle ups that were in the phase that all of a sudden made you way better at muscle ups. It was, no, you poured a lot of effort into a lot of workouts. You worked on the way you move and you did a bunch of reps of varying different styles of pulling gymnastics and pressing gymnastics. And alas, you got better at muscle ups. So you know, when you have an athlete come in there that day, maybe they had a shit day and they're like, the last thing I want to do is a 5k row with class. It's like, well, guess what? I, I bet you, I would bet you all the money in my wallet. It's not a lot of money, but I bet you all the money in my wallet that if you do that, you will feel better than if you hadn't come in. And 
I've yet to have a person who yeah. does the work on goes, fuck, I hate this. It was the worst day ever. Thanks for nothing. And leaves <laughs> like that never happens. So I think it's a, it's important for coaches to work with athletes. So they are educated enough. So they understand what a stimulus is, how it's going to react in their body, which is an important part of the whiteboard brief or important part of you reading through the descriptions and understanding, you know, the pacing, the stimulus, the duration, yeah. so that when you're doing the workout, you have figured out what is the stimulus that's going to give you that same feel so that you're not doing a workout. And you're like, wait, they said like 15 to 20 minutes. It took me 64 minutes. Something went wrong. Yeah. It's a, I, I think the understanding the stimulus is a, it's a, it's got a it's got a few different dimensions. It's a it's a buy-in element, factor, motivator, whatever. It's a it's a it, it creates buy-in, I think, from 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 the athlete perspective. If I know if I'm looking at something and I'm somebody who cares about like why the the why. It's like there aren't too many people who genuinely are just gonna look up at the whiteboard and be like, Yep, that's what I'm doing today. And if you are, odds are like that's probably a community thing. It's like you got a coach reading and I'm only calling this out because we was it you who told me this? You you yeah. you had a, you had an experience at an affiliate where it was like coaches reading off of their phone exactly what the workout is, exactly what the warm up. It was clear that there was not a whole lot of forethought put into the class, and it's just like if that's how you are as a coach, that's the kind of athlete you're gonna create. you're gonna create. And in some communities, that's like, hey, I'm here to to sweat and move around for sixty minutes, and I don't give a fuck what muscle <laughs> overload means like i don't care what the cardio stimulus is i'm here for an hour to work out totally get it that's fine but when we're starting to talk about like what separates you from other whether it's a coach separating you as a coach from other coaches your gym from another gym you as an athlete from another athlete a lot of it comes down to that athlete iq understanding your programming what is this training piece actually intending to tackle one, what's it trying to tackle? Two, does it matter for me? Am I even am I even somebody who's kind of who's like who's fit enough to like if I if I'm going after this muscle overload workout and I just bury myself and I can only do one push up at a time, like is that beneficial to me or is it not? And I'll kind of as the more that you think about that as an athlete, the more that you learn and as a coach, understanding what athlete you're talking to, like is this an athlete who really needs to get slowed down by the fact that their arms don't work anymore in this muscle overload workout. It's like, well, they're like 20 or 30 pounds overweight. We need to, I need them to be moving for 20 minutes and breathing heavy. So, Hey, stimulus today for you is let's move, let's figure out how we can move. And if your arms hurt a little bit more than everything else, like perfect, we did it for your higher level athletes. It's like, you know, in the example we gave earlier, what is the movement that I can do to bury you in your muscle ups? Yeah. You think you're good at muscle ups? Like, okay, watch, watch this, this, see what yeah. happens. Let's, let's see what happens. But the point is, is that if you have that understanding of your programming and there's that, it also builds trust. It's like, well, why, why have we done three 30 minute AMRAPs every day? Like in, in class this week, why has Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday been a 30 minute sweat sesh every single day? And it's like, well, well, I don't know. It's just like, that's just how the programming is, said the coach. And it's just like, <laughs> really? Like, I, I would hardly call you a coach if that's your answer. But it's like having that understanding of what you are asking of your athletes so that when they ask you, what am I supposed to be doing? You have the answer. You also have the the why 
because a lot of athletes are going to be like, like to know that, like, mm. why are you telling me to do that? Some of them will be like, okay, great. Thanks. Others are going to be like, so I'm thinking this or this. And then you have to be like, well, actually, I think this would be the better alternative because X, Y, or yeah, Z. Just, I mean, the, the way that you that buy-in. summarize that is just give a shit. Like the, the coach yeah, and the athletes sure. that they need to have an, an equal parts give a shit to make sure that your gym and your fitness is prioritized in a way that's going to make you a fitter person. That's honestly, you know, to toot our horn of our coaches next door at Mr. Jim Portland, like what I think separates us from other places in the area is that when an athlete comes to our gym, they're like, I've never heard someone explain how long a workout should take in terms of a range of time, or I've never heard someone say, you know, the reason I want you to stop in this workout is because you don't want to keep transitioning from station to station, or you should feel like your upper body is what keeps you from moving from round two to round three. Like these type of things build that trust factor in athletes, which then creates more adherence, which then creates more fitness, which then helps further grow your gym or grow your community or massive you know, positive like, feedback. Loop. But the idea here again is that, you know, by demonstrating your knowledge and then, you know, on the days that maybe you fuck up and get it wrong because we'd still get it wrong. And occasionally yep. is having the humility to be like, you know what? You were right. You should have used 95 pounds a day. My mistake. But guess what? You're sure you didn't get a bad workout. And next time it comes up, I will make a note of it. You make a note of it. And we'll make sure that next time that barbell is at the appropriate weight for you. And again, you got to go work out today, but thank you for proving me wrong. Kudos to you. And that makes the athlete have a ton of self-confidence. There's a right way and a wrong way to do that. What you said, I think is the right, you know, the right way to do that, especially if you've, if you've kind of, um, you know, bolstered your reputation with the athlete of being, you know, being right most of the time, or, you know, just having that trust with your athlete, but then that affords you the ability to be like the next time they, they, they do something that you didn't expect. They went faster than you expected, or they, they crush something that you didn't expect them to crush being willing to say like, yeah, nice fucking job. Nice fucking job. Yeah. That's, that's another, that's a, that's deposit. That's a deposit in the bank account. That's not a withdrawal, even though you're somewhat admitting that you were incorrect in whatever it happened to be. Hmm. So, I mean, I, I can't think of anything else that really grabs me in terms of things we didn't cover in this episode. But again, I I think that in order to really help athletes early on, you have to find these type of things to, to connect with them on and help them understand. Because if you can do that, you start to build that trust, which is what you're ultimately trying to do. What we don't want is an athlete that always depends on you for every single thing in the gym. We want to educate them so that they understand that like when it's a gas tank stimulus and it's a thruster. Here's what I should be using. And after I've done that for a while, it's starting to get too easy. I go up. That's our job here is to help essentially not handhold our athletes forever, but to give them the guidance early on and the information they need to eventually be able to go ahead forth and take on their own ownership in their training. And that they can always use us as a resource. Like I tell athletes that are experienced now, it's like, you probably know what you need for a weight on the barbell. If you're unsure, don't guess talk to me. That's part of my job is to make sure you get an effective workout. So if you're on the fence, let's have a conversation on whether this is muscular overload and maybe it's okay that you go a little bit heavier and get stuck a bit, or maybe it's cardio and I don't want you to get stuck in this workout. And the more times you build up that trust and the more times you prove to them that everything that you give them is to their betterment, not their detriment, which sometimes it feels like it does to them because I can, I've had those conversations where like the person comes to you and you give them the advice and they're a little standoffish and give you like the squirrely eye. Like, mm, I don't yeah. know if that's right. But then they have that experience that you're hoping they have. And you say, you know, nice job today. You did exactly what you're supposed to do. You know, you keep training this way in three months, that bar that was 45 pounds will be 75 pounds. 
that's how you start to build that trust yeah. in your community and how you can effectively make dramatic change to fitness without, you know, worrying about all the fancy things that people get really wrapped up in that move the needle very little. Yeah, I think the the think the to kind of wrap up here, the final thought is that you you as the coach and you as the athlete, you're both wandering around in a dark room in a in a in a bit of a in a way okay and it takes both of you to figure out like how the fuck do we get out of this room together Mm. and that's a that's an iterative process it's not i'm the coach i know everything already nor is it i'm the athlete like i don't scale anything there's a combination of of the two ideas meeting together the coach and the athlete having those conversations but ultimately like i think it's the the responsibility of the coach to have that underlying knowledge to be able to feed the, you know, continuously curious athlete answers to the questions or, you know, answers to, to CrossFit's greatest mysteries. Why it is, why are double unders so easy for someone so difficult for someone else? Mm. Sorry, sensitive topic, but yeah, it hurts. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, I think the, the overall theme here is that coaches, we have to, there, there is that give a shit factor. I think that that's like the foundation of it, right? Baseline. If you don't give a shit, like you should find another we don't career. Even, don't yeah. Uh, end the podcast now. <laughs> um, but communicating with your athlete, having those conversations, being willing to admit when you're wrong, uh, if that's the case, and also trying to talk to athletes, like ask them questions about how their workout went run like a, you know, do a 15 minute lecture, between your classes that's something that i did for a little while to to educate athletes to provide because we can't it's tough to fit it in that hour but if you can fit it in your hour-long class like fuck try to finish your workout 15 minutes early and then get people stretching and listening to a conversation about scaling or something like that but it all comes down to as the coach educating athletes and as the athlete trying to pay paying attention essentially to what's happening when you're taking class, what happens when you do X, Y, or Z and what that result is. And then, and then trying to utilize that information to make future informed decisions. Yeah. The best way to grow your business is to help athletes understand that you're trying to make them fitter and effectively add value to their life. And if you add value to fitter, your healthier, even like for the folks that aren't, I'm not trying yeah, it doesn't to do be, shit about the CrossFit. Exactly. Open. If, wanna, if you can bring yeah. value to an, someone and you can help improve their life, they're going to sing your praises. They're going to bring more people to your door. You're going to have a more successful affiliate. So again, if you're looking for a reason why this matters, like finding ways to bring value that isn't just like, here is how you yeah. do one single muscle up is the higher level coaching that we hope you all aspire to, because that is how you're going to grow these amazing communities where you have things like people who go from your CrossFit kids class to the CrossFit games, or you have that person who's inviting you to like their like wedding anniversary because you've changed their life. And now they can dance at that wedding as an anniversary, as opposed to like sit in the wheelchair off to the side. So like, again, without getting too, you know, high and mighty here, it's, it's all about bringing value to community. And if you can continue to bring value, you're going to grow your, grow your business and you're going to continue to be able to prosper and do what you love for a living, which is, you know, what we're you know fortunate enough to do every single day. Yeah. I think the, the cool thing is everything that we talked about today applies basically across the board beginner athlete beginner i've never done crossfit before to crossfit games athlete beginning affiliate coach to crossfit games coach just about all of these things apply to every different level of athlete it's more a matter of degree and less less by kind we did it we did it get out there and get some value in your communities find ways to add value you'll have a more successful and more fulfilling life and you're going to help other people which again is what gets me out of bed every single day. And the reason why I'm so excited to go to work every day is I get a chance to help people make their lives for the better. So 
Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Sweet. <laughs>